0: Legs are too long.
1: Yeah. Well, there's nowhere to put your legs. Or no, so I end up them. just
0: like, like,
1: like spread sort of eagle fro- Frog-legging a little <laughs> bit. Yeah.
0: And that's, that's, that only lasts for so long. Yeah,
1: it can be good for your psoas, though.
0: Do I have psoas?
1: Everyone's got a psoas. It's like oh. the muscle in your interior part of your groin.
0: Oh, I thought that was like a man thing.
1: Mm-mm. No, psoas is just like the muscle. It's okay. just like, yeah. There's, I, there's even like a massage clinic down the street from us that has like specifically like targets like the SOAS. it's even called like SOAS massage or something is it the
0: one i feel like i've seen like a chiropractor's office or something like down it might be chiropractic
1: oh it's like right there so it's by it's by by the the bank of america atm it's psoas i have totally i've
0: totally seen that place it's also it's the one that's like right above the weird dry cleaner that's never open
1: Yes, and the, like, little Geppetto uh, shop, the little... uh, Carlos! Yes, the the cobbler.
0: Carlos Shoe Repair.
1: Carlos Shoe Repair. He doesn't
0: feel the need to use possessive punctuation.
1: Well, it is just, it's not Carlos, it doesn't belong to him, it belongs to everybody, right? He's a very populist sort of cobbler. A pauper? What's a pauper? What's the difference between a pauper and a cobbler? What's a pauper? A pauper? Like P-A-U-P-E-R?
0: A pauper is like a poor person.
1: Is that what that is? Yeah. I thought it was like an actual job, like a sawyer or something.
0: No, but it is like a job. Or a cooper. The way that we like ascribe. uh, Like a peasantry? Like fiefs.
1: You say fief? I say
0: fife.
1: Fife? Fief, fife, (laughs) fof, I don't know.
0: I hate everything. Yeah.
1: I was just curious. It's not that it's wrong. It's maybe it's one, maybe it's the other. I don't know.
0: um, A pauper is a poor person. Fief, I say maybe because it's, like, more fun than fife. Fife still yeah. found, sounds like a racial slur.
1: Okay. <laughs> maybe. Maybe it is. Okay. Fief. fief.
0: But I didn't actually mean fief. I meant surf. I uh, meant surf. Okay. Like, you but know... We're
1: still talking, like, like feudalist sort of uh, yeah. class thing. Like, do... like like the prince and the pauper.
0: Right? Okay, so you just proved my... You, you answered your own question.
1: Yes. But do you remember their was i think an animated film in the 90s that was much delayed and i don't even know if it ever got released but it's something like the thief and the cobbler or something like that it the was thief
0: and the cobbler or the like, thief in the cobbler like apple cobbler
1: no like and the cobbler oh, okay. like there's a thief and then there's like a cobbler
0: not like the old woman that makes bakes kids into pies i
1: Maybe I'm. Maybe it's not called that. You're but thinking
0: of The Indian in the Cupboard. No,
1: I'm going to find this afterward. But I remember because I used to see trailers for it ahead of movies that I would watch on VHS when I was a kid. Yeah. And I remember never seeing it. And then I remember sometime down the line like having this epiphany of, like 25 and saying, I never watched that movie. Let me look it up. And realizing that the reason I never saw it is because it never came out. It was... Yeah, it was teased and, like, I guess, like, developed and then went through a bunch of, like, studio issues and and it never saw the light of day. Or it did eventually, but it was already, like, 2006 at this point and I wasn't watching cartoons anymore.
0: Was it too controversial a message?
1: I don't think so. I think it was honestly just weird studio stuff.
0: It wasn't, like, communism.
1: It was not communism. No, this was the 90s. This wasn't... (laughs) We were we were on top at this point. We already. were on top.
0: <laughs> I know, but maybe that's why I didn't get made. Maybe they were like
1: Too communist. This is
0: too communist. I
1: mean, maybe there's a like
0: That's what I meant. Not may- not maybe. that not that communism is what stopped it, but that the communist message was stomped out by studio execs.
1: That's always a possibility. And they may have just like fabricated a complete I think thing. it's
0: really telling that my worldview now is just permeated by conspiracy theories. Like <laughs> we go to the grocery store and I'm like, this is, this is big banana's fault. Right, <laughs> Right, like,
1: big, 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 because you can't say big apple.
0: Big produce, <laughs> this is big lettuce's fault.
1: Right, this is corporate lettuce, uh, just <laughs> undercutting the little guy. Oh my God. And that's why we have giant steroid ridden produce and, and greenery.
0: Or I'll be like, that's not the real price. They changed it today because whatever, whatever.
1: I mean, it's not so far-fetched when you realize that, you know, like McKinsey fixed bread prices in all of Canada. They literally took their their clients, their grocer chains, and fixed bread prices to raise the price of bread and make, make big bread more money.
0: And like the thing about that that's so funny is that bread has always been like a shorthand for like poor people food.
1: Right, like milk and bread and eggs, right? Like those like are like the three. bread and
0: water is like what you eat yeah. when you're like in prison.
1: Well, we're going to commodify all of it. Like that's, <laughs> they're they're trading water on uh, the stock exchanges Oh, now.
0: I know. I saw a very dark post that was just a series of headlines that were rounded up. This person had rounded up a series of headlines that were all talking about the commodification of water. All the headlines were like, soon, soon to be traded, like whatever, whatever, whatever. And talking about it like... In a good way. Like, it's some mark of economic progress that we're now charging people for just water this, existing on the planet. This
1: person was posting, like, excited that no, they were No, this
0: person was posting a roundup of, like, oh. terrible headlines that were... That all were all just like, that were good news,
1: everybody. Obfusc-
0: obfuscating the, the, like, completely horrific fact that we're now just, like, charging water. Yep. We're, we're making it cost money that water exists on the planet. Well, I...
1: I posted a story about this too on social media, just like taking clips from a Naomi Klein book that was all about how there's like the aridity line,
0: Mm -hmm. you know, in
1: in Africa and the Middle East, where it's sort of like a line that you can draw in a circle around that area where like the deserts permeate. Mm -hmm. That is basically uh, the border at which the minimum amount of precipitation occurs every year in order to sustain life and cereal crops. And it's not a fixed line, right? Like it
0: changes. Because
1: climate change has affected how far out it spreads and how much rain those places get and how well crops do, et cetera, et cetera. Right. So then Naomi Klein takes a map and draws on it like the aridity line and draws points on on the map where drone strikes have occurred because of civil wars outbreaking, specifically in like Yemen, you know, and Libya, they are basically on the line. So the point she's making is, hey, water is such a scarce resource in this part of the world that it's literally destabilizing societies and causing cultural conflicts. And then we are intervening with bombs. Once that happens and like civil war erupts and then we do drone strikes and people die and are displaced... All of a sudden, ships get loaded up with all of these immigrants who start seeking... Refuge. Uh, re- right. Seeking refugee status in developed nations. And then you've got right-wing uh, administrations and leaderships in Europe, you know, in, in in England, and then also in the United States that are very hostile to these, these immigrants. So... They're creating the problem and creating the destabilization and then also not giving those people anywhere to seek shelter.
0: That's America in a nutshell. Yeah. Well, it's it's
1: the developed world, right? It's it's like Europe and whiteness and like Western society. It's
0: imperial culture, period. It's uh, what we do to our own citizens. We create masses and masses of people who are impoverished and then we like punish them for it.
1: Right. It's... It's all wonderful. Anyway.
0: Wait, what I do wanna say is the this person that the point, the this person that the point. My brain is soup. Uh, so this should be a fun one. <laughs> um the point that this person was making is like we are a uh, ballsack hair away from access to water being considered socialist.
1: Yeah, absolutely. They're going to absolutely it's it's the moving of the goalpost. It has it been totally for is. a generation. Like we've talked about this on the show before, universal healthcare was on the table in the fucking 40s. Yeah. Like it was the next logical step. So
0: it was like rent stabilization and like a minimum wage yeah, absolutely. And, like and like owning a, a house. A
1: wide social safety net with like social security and Medicare and like, you know, all of, the, and a public option. Like all this stuff was par for the course at a certain point a hundred years ago and slowly like the the right wing slide of this nation into this conservatorship where, like, we don't get anything. We don't
0: get anything. And basic thing. human
1: rights are considered, like, socialist pie-in-the-sky ideals. Like, it's going to continue happening with everything, and it's going to be watered. We got condolences
0: next. from Nancy Pelosi about the 300,000 people, 300, people that have died from right. COVID.
1: Well, she's sorry about that. And, be she be <laughs> tweeting.
0: She tweeting.
1: Well, and, and Biden believes in science. Yeah. So, you know. So we're fine. So we're all going to be fine. And- we're talking about Jumanji today! We the old school. Yeah, old school. We the old school.
0: Yeah, old school. What's up, fuckboys? It's bitch o'clock!
1: <laughs> Everybody's on my fucking nuts. Everybody's
0: on my fucking nuts.
1: That is absolutely how we're starting the show. Good day to you all. Dear listeners, dear
0: listeners, uh,
1: it is another episode of the Hit Factory. I'm here. Carly's here. I'm here. Yeah, it's
0: I know, I'm just it. Carly, I'm, I'm here, but it's not going to be fun for you.
1: <laughs> no, it's going to be great for me. I'm
0: here, but you're not happy about it.
1: Question, Carly, <laughs> do I have to refer to you as Doctor Carly, or do you have any credentials that I have to add before or after your name, like? BA or MD or anything like that do you have any are there credentials that you're uh concerned that maybe we are are shortchanging as a society and and as like a, a populace.
0: Oh my god, totally. Um, I'm all about credentials, as you know. <laughs> okay, well, tell me
1: about it because I want to I want to go into this.
0: Yeah, so I have my doctorate. Um, I have uh, a PhD in uh, political science and um, Pelosi hairstyles. Okay. I also that was um, what your
1: your like thesis your graduating yeah. thesis was on was yeah. on her, her yeah, yeah yeah yeah
0: yeah Um, I also like double PhD. I don't know if you know this, but you can do that.
1: You can du- you can double PhD at the same time. Yeah, is that right? Yeah.
0: So I slam dunked on the Poli Sci Pelosi Hairstyles PhD, mm-hmm. and then at the same time on the other side of the court got a PhD in uh, philosophies of Oscar the Grouch.
1: Oh, very good. Yeah. Which is kind of like a race science. It's now. a race right. science. Okay. Very uh, good. There's
0: a. a- surprisingly there's a lot of economic theory in uh laden in his uh beliefs i
1: mean you you have to be somebody who fundamentally i think operates from a a a point of class consciousness to really understand uh the grouchness yeah if you
0: live in a garbage can you have class consciousness
1: absolutely yeah (laughs) i mean it so like does he live there or is it his clothes
0: uh it's both okay as is the case with a lot of a lot of people that don't have much, right? They need to make it work for them. Very
1: good. Yeah. <laughs> so
0: I double PhD'd. So my preference, if we're getting if we're getting technical here, is is for you to say Dr.
1: Carly PhD.
0: No, is for you to say Dr. Doctor, doctor Carly. Okay. PhD PhD.
1: Very good. Or
0: what you can say is Doctor Squared Carly PhD Squared.
1: Okay. Got it. That's
0: that's what I put on my resume. That probably
1: looks better. Uh, like like that nomenclature probably works better um, as like a as like a signatorial sort of thing. Like like when you when you draw it or, or type it out.
0: It's better, like Doctor actually, Squared, it's, Carly. It's PhD better actually Squared. when I can con- when I can um, express it in three dimensional space.
1: Very good. Because uh, got to get uh, that z axis in there. Because
0: you need like that right. I need to make a cube. So. Like the best interview situation for me when I'm like talking about my credentials is when I'm in a you know a room with someone and I can make the square with my PhDs.
1: I so, love that. Cool. Yeah, that's good to know. Obviously, we're talking about this right now because the discourse is um, very concerned with us sort of not even deplatforming, just erasing. I think the the success and the experience and and capacity of one Dr. Jill Biden.
0: Oh my god. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I don't
1: know if you saw this. Maybe not, but uh you know in the Wall Street Journal there was an op-ed piece written by I, I think it's it his name is Joseph Epstein, I think. Hmm, yeah. I don't, related? I'm gonna say no. Maybe it's like a really bad disguise. It's like <laughs> pistachio disguise Right. It's like Jeffrey Epstein becomes Joseph Epstein. The, oh the body they found had, uh you know, the, the eyeballs, the tongue, the fingers and toes all cut out and, and <laughs> all the labels were removed from his clothes. And mm-hmm. yeah, so Joseph Epstein. Okay. No relation.
0: Already I'm super trusting this guy.
1: Basically uh, puts forth an argument that Jill Biden, Dr. Jill Biden.
0: Mm-hmm. Make sure you say it. Right.
1: Needs to relinquish her doctor title once she enters the White House because it is uh, misleading. hmm Yeah. And...
0: <laughs> was his argument uh, based on the tautology around women not being able to be doctors?
1: Maybe. You know, I, I think that the biggest thing there is, and I know I run into this all the time, there, there was a, a shirt that used to appear on, like, Threadless or one of those T-shirt sites, you know, like the novelty tees. Uh, that had a photo of a surgeon mask on it that just said not a doctor Mm -hmm. and the selling point on this one for me was that it said you know this is a a great way when you're in public to remind everyone around you that you are in fact not a doctor despite their uh, misconceptions and, and their affinity for for assuming that you are a doctor, mm-hmm. right? I'm so,
0: predisposed to assume everyone I encounter is a doctor.
1: Correct. I think that's just allyship, right? Yeah. That's just like that's just like <laughs> doing your due diligence with people. Yeah. But so I, the, the thing he actually puts forth and posits is that you should not be allowed. He, he uses an anecdotal uh, anecdote. He uses an anecdote. <laughs> he does. Uh, where he says that uh, someone he, he grew up with, I think, Claims that you can't call yourself a doctor unless you've delivered a child, which, uh. of, which of course, uh, you know, uh, disenfranchises a serious number of like brain and heart surgeons from being referred to as doctors. So it's a pretty narrow scope, uh, kind of winnowing down here, which actually I'm kind of for. I think that there are too many doctors in our society.
0: Yeah, they certainly, we, we have way too many right now. If they don't have enough work to do. Right. If there's
1: anything that COVID has taught us, it's that we are probably sort of at our... At our tipping point already when it comes to the amount of uh, medical professionals in our society oh, and yeah, the people who uh, who can do that work.
0: We've fully reached saturation point of doctors. Like, we're, we've got way too many on our hands. Yeah,
1: absolutely. And-
0: um, question. So I feel like this guy is making a, a really good case for canceling student debt. Say, say more. Well, I mean, if he's ostensibly saying that the entire arrangement we have with Intellectual pursuits and um, you know higher education is completely meaningless. Yeah. And all for not, then maybe we should get our fucking money back. Totally. For pa- like I paid for I paid for doctorates squared. So I will be paying for those doctorates until my children die.
1: Right. They'll inherit. They will your, inherit. Wa- right. My... Your, your grandchildren, in fact, but will be paying if, that off while they are uh, hunting. In the desert for water. Yeah. Yeah.
0: If, if, uh, Jeffrey or Joseph, if, if, (laughs) if,
1: if Doc, Mr. Epstein. If
0: Mr. Epstein is saying that, uh, none of that shit actually means anything, then definitely give me my money back.
1: Right. Absolutely. Those titles are, are irrelevant to, uh. To anything, really. Yeah, the, so meri- the meritocracy like, doesn't really exist, according to to Mr. Epstein here.
0: He's, like, super progressive when you get down to yeah, it. Yeah,
1: I think that you're right. He's he's definitely, like, uh pushing a, a very leftist populist message here. Yeah. Um, but my favorite thing about it, because it's been exhausted talking about the, the validity of his remarks and, uh you know, and whether or not Jill Biden has the right to be called doctor. Never mind that, you know... It it did in fact lead to a lot of complete stupidity during the election cycle, where uh, Whoopi Goldberg suggested that she could take over as like uh, not even Attorney General, some some sort of medical position, and uh, and Joy Behar is like, well, you know, I I don't think that she's a doctor, doctor, and Whoopi says, no, 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 she is, she's a great doctor, so like these, so these. Idiot liberals like in the media have uh, been either purposefully or accidentally making the mistake that this guy is actually positing uh, that will happen as, as a doctor in the White House. <laughs> but So
0: his argument is that, just so I'm clear here, his argument is that she needs to remove the title because people will be confused and think that she can like do CPR
1: Yes, I think that he's he's basically saying that uh people who are not medical professionals need not carry the doctor title especially when they're uh in the public eye the way that a, a first lady would be.
0: Got it. Okay. Yeah.
1: But more funny to me than that has been just the shithead response from uh the intellectual and like media elite. Oh who, yeah, this
0: is like their are catnip.
1: Well, and it, like you said, you know, like they've done really nothing with their lives except spend money and time achieving these credentials. So they went off. And <laughs> there was a, an awesome tweet today where <laughs> this this woman just posted, uh, can every woman who sees this change their handles to reflect their credentials? And some people jumped on it immediately and were like, Esquire, MD, PhD. My favorite one was from some woman who just added the prostitute to the end of her handle <laughs> and said, you got it. Uh, like, Yeah, but-
0: I mean, that's inherently sort of classing people in a way that is problematic too, right? Because, Completely. Because like, if and- I don't have uh, an Esquire or an MD or like a PhD after my name, uh, does that mean, like, I am not valuable? Well, society has already told me yes, but this woman on Twitter is confirming it.
1: Right. And, all, I mean, it is <laughs> it is literally winnowing down and, and trimming the fat from an already shrinking sort of class in our society. And this thing that is supposedly attempting to uh, to promote some level of solidarity is really just drawing a line in the sand between all of these goons and, like, working class people who, like do nine to fives and like have to earn their living and live paycheck to paycheck, especially right now. Anyway, the obsession with it is the thing that is funny to me. And it's like, I I don't even care about the op-ed. Like it's a thing in the media cycle that will be gone by like the time we even post this fucking episode. But the response to it has been really telling and really funny to me.
0: I think what's funniest to me about this is that like this is the shit that people are spending time talking
1: about. Exactly. Right,
0: so 300,000 people have died. Uh, More are dying. More are dying. We
1: are not getting a stimulus uh, check in the mail or any sort of, like, state or federal relief at all. More
0: people are um, in poverty than ever have been in the history of this country. Uh, We have more people unemployed than ever have been in the history of this country. The list goes on. But let's have a rager of a discourse about the importance of keeping our credentials next to our name. Right. It's now, it's it's that's not to say that Dr. Jill Biden does not have a right to have a doctor in front of her name. The the fact that this But is, who
1: cares? But that
0: is that it is even being a, a a conversation put forth to like have a discourse about right now, in the middle of all of the terrible shit that's happening. It would
1: be arbitrary in like a period of economic boom and like societal bliss. Yeah. Now right now it is Completely asinine and completely arbitrary and stupid.
0: Yeah, that's why that's why people on the left are are as uh, acidic as they are because yeah. we do not have time for this shit.
1: I know we're supposed to be talking about Jumanji and sort of wading through that jungle and and rolling the dice, as it were. But I, I, I want to talk one more about one more thing in our. Collective societal jungle at the cool. moment.
0: I've been super hibernating for the last week and a half because I'm going through some really intense shit right now. Um, So I don't know what the fuck is going That's on. That's fine
1: because all I really want from you is your opinion on the matter. Great. I got, I, I
0: got opinions for days. Yeah.
1: If we're talking about, you know, the progressive wing of the party and talking about the left, as it were, uh, there was a debate that got started uh, pretty much just online so there's a comedian named jim jimmy door and he does his own show and he's pretty lefty and like goes on and is kind of contrarian and bitches about uh you know politics and and even like the progressive wing and shits on democrats and barack obama a lot and i I like jimmy door just fine like i think that he makes some fine points i think that he's kind of amusing and he's very passionate like if you if you listen to him like he's almost like off-puttingly passionate Mm -hmm. because if if you don't if you don't check his vibe and if you're not there and like he's he's not going to be for you. Uh, but he basically pointed out that in order for Pelosi to be sworn in as Speaker of the House in January, the incoming Congress, which now features Mondaire Jones, Jamal Bowman, Corey Bush, a slate of other progressives, Ro Khanna, Pramila Jaipal, like all of these people returning with AOC, Ilan, uh, that they have enough leverage to... Uh, basically hold up the vote and the swearing in to prevent a simple majority of 218 representatives and can leverage that uh, contingent upon them getting something for it. Yeah,
0: like passing policies that might help the American people right now.
1: Well, and so Jimmy Dore specifically pushed for them to uh, demand that they bring Medicare for All to a vote on the floor.
0: So I lied. I actually have seen this. I have seen this discourse on the like fleeting moments that I've popped my head out of the abyss and looked on social media. And it may have
1: been like Sirota's piece that he wrote for Daily Poster. Like props to him too, because I think his piece is actually the one that has the best outline of it, where he advocates for pushing for the vote, Mm -hmm. but also says that it doesn't go far enough Mm -hmm. and that they actually need to ask for something substantive to go along with it. Yep. Yeah, I don't know. I'm curious where you fall in the discourse. Like if you think that it's just like a performative sort of outlier right now, or if you think that it's actually meaningful to do so, a lot of the conversation has been around, oh, this can help give us a roadmap of who to primary and shows like who's actually about this thing and who's just saying they are. And I kind of feel like we already know that stuff. You know, like I, I kind of think that we're already sort of there and, and don't necessarily need the vote. But I, I do think that maybe that, that some action is warranted.
0: I think it's absolutely necessary for a couple of reasons. Nancy Pelosi needs to have some sort of, pebble in her walkway like there she can't just fucking float in and continue to be a a ghost of a human absolutely which
1: she's been doing for she's a ghoul as long as she's been around she's a
0: total ghoul uh so if nothing else the performative nature i think is important to say like hey we have people in this congressional body who believe things that are different than you and we want to have a discussion about it We think these are important things for us to do for the American people. Whether or not uh, she gives a shit is a whole other story because she probably won't. But if nothing else, I think that taking a stand so that she doesn't just ghoul on in again is important for for that statement. Secondly, we, I won't say we because this isn't my fucking job, it's theirs. The Democratic Party across the board does not do anything
1: yeah they don't give a shit
0: they, they do not get into the muck of like taking a hard stance on something or you know more substantively leverage the machinations of the structures of our political bodies and the way that our government is organized they do not leverage those machinations and the way that those things work in order to politic they no, just don't
1: they don't they don't wield the power that they have as fleeting as it is in any meaningful capacity.
0: So, yes, by all means, if there is an opportunity for a vocal, more progressive uh, tranche of the Democratic Party to force fucking Congress to talk about this shit and like potentially pass some meaningful policy...
1: Or, you at least, must, or at least schedule a vote on something else Or meaningful. at
0: least schedule a vote on something else meaningful. Yeah. You must do that. You must do that. Absolutely. If, if we aren't doing that now when things are as fucking horrifying as they are, then we are never going to do it. And that is the thing that I don't think people understand. It's like... For the last year, everyone's been talking about a fucking revolution, and now it's like, oops, nope, not that way. Ooh, no, not Medicare for all. Oh, wait, uh, we need to whatever, whatever, whatever. Right. We, we,
1: didn't, we didn't mean like that. We didn't mean to be progressive that way.
0: But if we cannot, despite the fact that we have many people still in power on the right and the left who don't give a flying fuck about people's needs in this country, despite that, if we cannot leverage the places where we do have power, then we really have no use for a governing body.
1: Yeah, they're completely meaningless. And this is the thing that I've been like kind of uh, getting at in any conversations I've had about it online or with anyone who will listen, which is mostly just like people on fucking Twitter, because uh, everyone that I know and I'm friends with on Facebook uh, hates me every time I post something like this. The The point I made is like, you know, there's this like, ideology of of defeatism that we talk about in the democratic party constantly that's been there breeding since like the 90s that we mm-hmm. just like can't do anything and nothing can get better that ideology has sort of just like clung on to everything that democrats do and everything that liberals believe about what democrats can do and the thing that i kind of said is like if the progressive wing of the party is going to now tell us that it can't happen because the vote would be performative or that it wouldn't pass, and like it's just like it, it, it's no different than that ideology. Like like if if ultimately the outcome from both of those conversations is complete inaction, then the two are not distinct in any way. That's it, right? So and you know AOC has been really vocal on online about this, and this is the last thing I'll say about it. Is just like. She has been saying like the, the, the Medicare for all vote won't pass. We don't have the vote, so we shouldn't do it. But we are talking about things like we are having conversations in private about what what we should be doing and just haven't told anyone about those, to which I say you absolutely haven't been like I'm going to call bullshit on that and say that if someone hadn't called them out and brought this up and sparked the conversation on social media and amongst a lot of activists in the community, they probably would have done nothing. And I think that's the only possible way that they can misstep here is if they do absolutely nothing. And I'm really hoping that that's not what happens.
0: Me too. I think the thing that American people don't often get from the people that run this country, uh, particularly at a you know state or federal level, is like some sort of galvanizing energy around a thing. Uh, we are the ones that have to drum that shit up for ourselves in most cases. I think there are times when performative actions can suck a dick. Kente cloths around Chuck Schumer's saggy neck is terrible and I hate it. But I think there are times when something performative and something that makes a statement is a part of activism, is a part of change happening. That's why demonstrations happen. That's why people lie down on the street, you know, in, in front of cop cars, whatever it is. There are, there are things that are, are part of the performance and the actual act of generating change. And what I think this cohort of progressives and progressives clingers on standing up to force a conversation or a vote about something important would do, if nothing else, would show American people who are really hurting right now that you still have people that are here trying to do right by you. And I also think it would give more visibility to the conversation and, frankly, legitimize it a bit more.
1: Absolutely. The the
0: the, the argument that we're constantly having leveled at us is like, Nobody's going to vote for that shit. Nobody cares
1: Nobody about cares that. Nobody cares about it. Right.
0: Americans don't want it. Oh, Fox News poll poll. 75% of Americans would support government-funded Medicare.
1: Right. And in a time where millions of people are off of their employer-based healthcare plans, having a group of people say we are fighting for this and advocating for it that is a dividing line between the democratic wing of the government would be a huge get and a huge demonstration for people to let them know that there are people who care about them and to let people know that the people who are advocating for that message and advocating for that policy are the ones who are going to win and the ones that are going to, like, get votes out in the real world.
0: We have seen in the down-ballot races that the people that support these policies, these policies that are for Medicare for All, that that are for defunding the police, that are for a Green New Deal— that those people win races. They win. And that aside, if you are in Congress and you are standing up and saying, we must talk about this, our country is dying, we must talk about this, then it might get Sally so-and-so on Instagram who's, uh, you know, unsure of how she feels about Medicare for All because she's in a position of privilege where that may or may not be uh, of material impact to her, that might galvanize her a bit to to fight for that. Long story short, yes, they absolutely should. There are nothing but benefits to be had and benefits for the American people. Uh, And the people who it would be hurting are people we shouldn't give a shit about like uh, Nancy Pelosi's feelings and uh, Big Pharma and corporate donors and all of that shit. Sorry, Medicare for all is a black and white issue. Give people healthcare, full stop. It's it's not a difficult conversation. No,
1: and I think that that's like the- perfect- Hags,
0: hags, all <laughs> hags.
1: I think that's the perfect place to put a nail in the coffin for that conversation and move on things. Uh, I'm going to skip past the the announcement that happened just like in the last couple of hours, that Pete Buttigieg is the new transportation secretary. I don't we're gonna wanna talk we're gonna get it. out of that, and the fact that like Joe Biden is basically treating his appointments to his cabinet about like like Mad Libs, and just sort of inserting them wherever he thinks they sound funny. Like we're gonna we're just gonna grease past that. Uh,
0: I mean Mad Libs, yes. Uh, but also really, it's like going th- through the list of all the people that like sucked his balls during the primaries so that he could be like, all right, favor time return.
1: Right. But it's the good way to do it. Right. Like, it's the good way. <laughs> right. Like, like uh, ingratiating. Or, or people who have ingratiated themselves to Joe Biden and done him favors getting cabinet appointments. But it's done the right way because it's the Democrats.
0: It's not the way that Donald Trump did it.
1: Right, because they don't have his last name. Yeah. Yeah, and they're qualified for those positions. as but like,
0: like husbands and, right. you know, friends. As and, like
1: a 30-something you know, mayor of like the third largest town in Indiana, like you can lead a national transportation and infrastructure program. Yeah. That is something for you.
0: He's cool. He's as, a cool guy. <laughs>
1: Moving on to the reason that you are all actually here <laughs> and not just us jerking off into a microphone for 20 minutes. No one's here anymore. You've all tuned out already. Whatever. It's a Patreon episode. If you're listening to this, you're giving us money and there's like 12 of you. So hear me, hear me. Anyway.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I love how when you get like riled up, you become like a, a medieval like square collar. Hark. Hark.
1: Hark. I say. Hear
0: me! Hear me!
1: We've already talked about fiefdoms today, too. So, like, <laughs> it's it's just... It's par for the course. It's it's on brand for us at oh this my point. Oh, God. Uh, Jumanji. Jumanji. From 1995. Mm-hmm. More or less a vehicle for the late, brilliant Robin Williams. Uh, to say that I was a fan of this movie growing up would be an incredible understatement.
0: If you were alive... It's the phantom tollbooth phenomenon. If you were alive and of a certain age... Uh, during a certain time. You love Jumanji.
1: It's amazing for a lot of reasons. I was obsessed with animals growing up. I loved the book, the, the Chris Van Allsburg book from like the 80s. I love the drawings in it, all of these beautiful like black and white pencil drawings. Yeah, I saw it in theaters. And then I was hospitalized with an asthma attack at the age of five.
0: I just found out like two days ago that you were an asthmatic child. Yeah, and... I had the
1: inhaler, I had the abuterol, and I <laughs> yeah, it was it was bad when I was little. And so I was hospitalized with an asthma attack. I had like an IV like stuck in my arm for like forty-eight hours. And I stayed overnight. Because I was this, you know, weird little kid that I was, I knew exactly when Jumanji was being released on VHS because I saw it in like a Target catalog and that had is like super weird. Yeah, I had like put a red X on the date. I'm like, can't wait to see this movie again. <laughs> And I went to the hospital. Of course, you know, that night or the next day, I was like, I want to see Jumanji. Like, can can you, you know, talk to my parents? And I'm sure that they were just like, you've got to be fucking kidding me. Like they just watched their kid almost die and they're like, oh, maybe, maybe they thought, you know, like, oh, this the, the air shortage would have like made your taste better or I don't know, you know, just like made you care more about like the important things in life and not about this fucking movie that we took you to see already uh, that you should be grateful for that being what it is like my father god bless him drove out and grabbed us a copy of jumanji and we watched it on the tv in my hospital bed or in my hospital room and uh, it was great and i watched it all the time and like burned a hole in the vhs copy and i just really like this movie a lot i like know all the beats to it yeah i just adore this movie it uh, i guess we can talk about like it's directed by joe johnston you know this guy
0: oh t- totally no. You who, don't know Joe Johnston. Joe Johnston? <laughs> <laughs> but the way you asked me was like, oh, you, 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 know, you Joe know Joe Johnston, Johnston. right? right? You, you know Joe Johnston. Well, I, I say
1: it that way because you do know Joe Johnston.
0: I mean, sure. Joe
1: Johnston's directorial debut was Honey, I Shrunk the Kids.
0: Oh, I do know him. We uh, go way back.
1: He also directed Jurassic Park 3. He was hand-selected by Mr. Spielberg to helm that film. Uh, He also directed the first Captain America film. Cool. Yeah. So he's been around.
0: Yeah, I super know him.
1: He's about as traditional and plain a director as you could possibly get.
0: I mean, I thought this movie, despite the fact that it does have some pretty traditional trappings and isn't like wild in any sort of like philosophical or ideological capacity, is a movie that doesn't look like anything else really that was made around the same time and... Yeah, I love this movie also.
1: Joe Johnston like is good with he's good with like emotions. He's not good with tone or with like theme. He never gets something that is like, "Oh, here's like a story that has like an arc. Here's how we're going to explore this character." We sort of approach that in this movie a couple times with Robin Williams' character, but overall he just like doesn't ever stick with anything all the way through.
0: Yeah, this movie isn't really about a narrative it's just about a bunch of different things happening one right after the other the movie feels like the game itself there's just like things happening as a means to an end but not like telling a larger story or um making some sort of grander statement we start the movie we start the game a bunch of shit happens uh we got to keep going because we need to finish the game and we need to finish the movie and then <laughs> uh, the game finishes and the movie finishes and then you're done.
1: And that's it. And that's it. That's the way that he approaches directing. Jonathan but as
0: a, as a nine-year-old or a five-year-old or a six-year-old or even, even as a, a person in their thirties, I will say, I don't mind that kind of a movie. Like if I'm looking for something that's like light, Jumanji's it. I still have a ton of really strong nostalgic energy wrapped around this movie. And unlike my viewing with Armageddon, watching it again now, all of those feelings were still there.
1: Yeah, it's totally solidified. And you're right. It's, I mean, a lot of the reviews that I was reading for this movie that came out at the time of its release complained about the chaotic feeling of just A and B and C and D and one thing happening one after another. And maybe it's just like the time that we're living in and how chaotic and fucked up everything is day to day today that feels like it exemplifies the same kind of tone and manic energy of this movie and the game itself. But I didn't feel that that was thwarting at all. And especially as a kid, like where my brain wasn't processing in that way, seeing uh, mosquitoes and then seeing monkeys and then seeing a lion and then seeing like vines that eat you and then seeing a flood and then seeing uh, elephants and then seeing a hunter, like all of those things one after another was so stimulating for me and i just i i adored it i just like ate it all up i thought it was great
0: it's a really good kids movie in that regard because it is a lot of sensory overload and a lot of just like dynamism and things to like laugh at and visually really interesting um which is why i think like it pushes on all the like right pleasure center buttons of like the things that make you feel good when you're a kid when you're like oh yeah this is fun this is funny this is silly this is scary i'm enjoying myself
1: right and it's just like a. uh a- cacophony and barrage of one of those things from from scene to scene.
0: The synopsis of the movie, for anyone who hasn't seen Jumanji, my sister is one of those people. I'm
1: sure. Yeah. We found out that our younger siblings just saw no movies.
0: Anytime I, I bring up a movie, she's just like, haven't seen it, Moonface.
1: I, I remember when we did the Jurassic Park episode, I texted my little brother and said, please tell me you've seen Jurassic Park. And he said, yes, but only because a year ago when we had this conversation, you gave me such a hard time for saying no. Like I only watched it because you've already asked me this dude. Like- I
0: didn't want to be harassed. <laughs> Robin Williams played by Little Man Tate. Little
1: Man Tate, Adam Hanbird, again coming on. Who we love. We love him.
0: In the late 60s, son of a rich dude, finds a game at a construction site. It's old, it's been there for like 100 years or something. And he decides to play it with his friend, Sarah. With the, hot,
1: with the hot neighbor girl. Who's
0: the girlfriend of one of the guys that beat him up. The game is like, you know, bewitched or voodoo or I don't know. It's got magical powers. Right. I don't know. I don't know what's driving those magical it's, powers. It's just
1: supernatural forces.
0: When you roll the dice and riddles emerge, things happen in real life that are being referenced in the game.
1: All sorts of jungle hazards start Jungle,
0: appearing. all sorts of jungle trappings. Robin Williams character as a child. What what is his name? Alan is his Alan name. Alan Parrish. Alan as a child gets sucked into the game by he's gone. Sarah's traumatized. Fast forward 26 years, it's 1995. BB Newworth comes in. Love BB Newworth. Who is just like a goddess and dancing around this like grand house that the Parrish family used to live in. Gets it real cheap because everyone thinks that Alan Parrish was murdered by his dad in it. She is taking care of her brother's kids, I think, right. because their parents died in a car crash. Brother's kids are Kirsten Dunst and... Little guy. Little guy. Little
1: monkey-looking guy.
0: Um, they find the game. They start playing it. Crazy shit happens. Next thing you know, Robin Williams is back. He's aged 26 years. And is Robin Williams. And is Robin Williams. And they quickly find out that they need to continue playing the game that he and Sarah started 26 years ago. And the rest of the movie is them just contending with all of the wilderness and jungle threats that come their way. um, Because the game explicitly tells them that in order for all of these things to be undone, you have to finish the game.
1: Have to finish it.
0: They finish the game and then, you know, there's a happy ending and it's great.
1: The ending is a weird part of the movie. The
0: ending is a very it, weird like, part. It like does the movie.
1: so like it makes sense within the logistical framework of the film, right? It says that all of all of the things that happen in the game will go away once the game is completed. Part of that being the fact that 26 years have gone by and new children have come along to play the game. So at the end, when Alan, aka Robin Williams, aka Lil Man Tate finally finishes the game. Everything goes back to 1969 and they realize as children that they have all the memories of playing the game and having aged for 26 years, but that the kids that they were playing with haven't even been born yet. And so there's like a weird thing where like Robin Williams character like takes over his dad's shoe company and hires the kid's dad to do marketing for them. And they meet the kids at a Christmas party, uh, Sarah and Alan now being married in the 90s. And they don't know each other, and the kids have no recollection of what happened, but they do, and they remember. It's it's all very—it's not confusing. Like, it makes perfect sense, but it is, like, a strange ending for this kind of movie.
0: As an adult, when I lingered on this ending, I was abound with questions. Yeah. I was like, wait, uh, what? How do we even know that, like, the that chain of events means that Kirsten Dunst and Monkey Guy were even born? Or, like— right how do we know that this didn't happen? Why do they still have the memories? All the things. Right, and
1: then the loophole to, or the plot hole, I guess, rather, of the the fact that the only reason that the kids ever came to this town in New Hampshire is because their parents died and they were adopted by their aunt, who's nowhere to be found. And so- Baby's gone. Baby's gone. And the parents are still alive. So you kind of wonder, it's like, okay, well, this doesn't seem to make that much sense. Like, Did he just like, dedicate a large portion of his life to, like, finding this man and making sure that he hired him. And it becomes a very sinister plot all of a sudden.
0: Yeah. And I feel like an easy fix maybe would have been that, like, they lose memory of, like, everything that happened, right? And then we are back in 1969 and we are just meant to imagine what could happen after that, right?
1: Or even that, like, uh, Robin Williams and Bonnie Hunt, who plays Sarah, you know, are meeting and consoling these two children who they know now through B.B. Newworth's character after their parents have already been lost. And that's why they're there in the first place, you know? Yeah. The film never really shies away from some of the more morbid implications or sort of morose ideas of the film. Like there is a really great stretch of this movie. Once Robin Williams is out of the game and back in New Hampshire, where he is reckoning with the fact that he has wasted his entire youth and Outlived his parents, who are now passed away, and like goes and visits the abandoned factory where he used to spend his days, like after school, and goes and sees their graves. Like it, it does deal with that sort of melancholy a lot, and so at the end, it might have been an interesting touch to see that. I don't, I don't know if I like rewriting the movie necessarily, but there's a way to make it work that it doesn't really approach ever, and just yeah, ends in a a very kind of bizarre way. Like I, I totally forgot about the coda. Until we watch this again,
0: I didn't, but what I did forget about or what I didn't realize for the many years that I had watched this movie when I was much younger it it didn't confuse me or make me question anything like again, it's a movie that works well for kids. A kid sees that ending and is like, yes, this is this is how it's supposed to go, right? You're good not stuff. thinking of all of the like existential questions, right of like what does this mean about time and space and experience and memory? Like, you're not thinking that at <laughs> no, nine years old. Not at all. But as an adult and, you know, in 2020, I was certainly thinking of those things. But it's still a great movie. This conversation is making me think of something I wanted to talk about and, and get your opinion on okay. about the movie. So, you know, there's this idea of, like, erasure. Things at the end, we're saying sort of tie up in a bow nicely. Mm-hmm. Um but, you know, we're left with these questions of, like, memory and and what that does to the time-space continuum and all that stuff, right? <laughs> right. One of the, like, odd things that I found about this movie, it's a very small thing, but I think it fits into a larger societal understanding at the time, um, and one that I think is still pervasive today. There's a kind of offhanded couple of moments when they come to sarah as an adult bonnie hunt plays her and she uh very explicitly references that she's been in years and years of therapy Mm -hmm. to deal with the trauma of losing alan Parrish into this game and that bats came out of the walls and chased her down the street and no one believed her and uh, and she was alienated and no one came to her 14th birthday party. And right,
1: she's really fucked up and had to change her name and everything. Had
0: to change her name. She's like gotten into, you know, soothsaying. She's like a fortune teller now or whatever, right? I I thought it was interesting that the way that they talk about therapy in this movie is that it's a form of repression and not a form of processing. She says quite, quite uh, literally, yeah. I've spent the last... 26 years or however many years in therapy, convincing myself that this thing that happened didn't happen. And here I am now with the man uh, in front of me who is, uh, who's undoing all of that. Hmm. And she calls her therapist in like a, a moment of crisis when she is freaking out and this sort of fake world that she's stood up around her, is is coming crashing down,
1: right? She's and like I, the thing that we uh, the thing that didn't happen is 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 back and like uh, looking me in the face right now, like I like, just, like the boy that I didn't see disappear into a game uh, in nineteen sixty nine.
0: And there is also something there, I think, with the fact that Alan Parrish's father says to him when he's a child about the bullies, like you need to go, you need to go confront these people. Hmm. Um, it to me spoke to this like larger societal conceit that we had at the time in the 90s and also I think very much still today which is that like you are in a system that that demands that you not acknowledge the pain and the horrors of things that either you or people that you know or just people period experience and that if you do acknowledge those things you are ostracized you are potentially fired right like David right. Allen Greer's character, you're alienated and, and that it's better for you to repress it and fall in line.
1: I mean, there there definitely is, I think, a larger conversation there that is more about, I think, what you're hinting at, which is societal conformity. This kind of like obsequiousness, you know, and, and sort of, uh, yeah, like falling in line, as you said, right? It comes out in different ways, but they definitely use therapy and mental health as uh as a means of comedy in this movie right totally. like like all the signifiers are there that like you're you're supposed to be laughing at her for like calling the shrink and panicking even though like we know this thing is real that is one that sort of has an interesting kind of inverse to it though like within the narrative because no one believed that this thing happened because it is supernatural right the same way that we would sort of logically label someone as insane who said that they were abducted by aliens right? that they were using it to repress like some sort of trauma mm-hmm. which is what the the therapist ultimately tells her right is like you are pretending that this is what happened and you are saying that this is what happened and what you saw because you can't reckon with the fact that like what you actually saw was your childhood friend murdered or that your or that your childhood friend died and you lost him mm-hmm. and so like that one is like a little bit flipped on its head a little bit but but there is still sort of this this tone that seems to devalue the idea of mental health and and uh, appeals to seeking it in that society. And then there's also the conversation about masculinity, absolutely. Also, the David Allen Greer one that you bring up is interesting because uh, that in that sense, yes, he sort of just accepts blame for something that is not his fault. And it's fired and, and it sends him on this path within the game where he becomes a police officer. It's eventually rectified, right? Where Alan tells his dad the truth when all the stuff in the game is put back into the game and he comes out and says, like, I'm the guy who did it. Like, please don't fire Carl, I think is his name. But before that, you know, there is very much this idea that he doesn't have any other choice but to just, like, raise his hand and say, oh, that was me, and accept his punishment and that that is just and right, even though uh, it's wrong that Alan did that.
0: I also... This is me probably extrapolating way too much, but speaks to what I mentioned earlier about just feeling like nothing means anything and there's conspiracy theories everywhere. Um, I was like thinking about how interesting it is that his, they work in this like leather shoe factory and, um, you know, they make sort of like brown business shoes and David Allen Greer is there like Presumably the only black man in in the in the factory, and he's had this idea for a sneaker that uh, athletes can wear, and it looks like a modern like nineteen ninety five like a Jordan like Air Jordan or whatever it is, um, and he's like, this is gonna make me famous. Like this is this is like the next big thing. Uh, nobody's thought of this. Whatever. I just thought it was interesting. It's a total throwaway thing, but the shoe gets chewed up. By the machinery of the factory. And I like I had made a note to myself and I was like, isn't it interesting that innovation is not rewarded or it's destroyed completely by by capitalism? Yeah. And and it's just like literally chewed up by the system.
1: Yeah, he never really escapes the notion of of legacy in this movie. Like when he comes back from the game, Alan, when he comes back from the game. Does what everyone is expecting him to do, which is own up for his mistakes and be a man in the ideal of his father and connect with his father and have a good relationship. Even though we've seen that he is a very off-putting, very cold, very uh, insensitive man. And then he inherits the business. Like he takes over and like works for the shoe factory. And maybe they, you know... Have modernized and and you know adopted this idea of the sneaker and and uh, you know taken Carl's idea to its conclusion and endpoint, but yeah, it it seems very confused about what its messaging is. And this is what I say when I say that Joe Johnston doesn't really get theme or tone. He throws a bunch of stuff at us that like feels good and feels necessary or makes sense for like a moment in a, a moment. scene, but he doesn't ever have a congruent argument to make about those things or doesn't say anything about it. And there's a lot of threads to pull here. Like the movie doesn't, like I said, shy away from, from the emotional stakes of this thing. It doesn't, it, it deals with the idea of inheriting your father's legacy emotionally, right? Like Robin Williams character is really terrible to the little boy to Peter is the name of the, the character. And he even acknowledges at one point when he apologizes and says like, I, I, you know, I spent 26 years in the jungle and I still wound up becoming my father. Mm-hmm. But it never goes further than that. It just has a nice sort of reconciliation, a bow tying, and things are sort of subsumed back into the way things are. And I think that, you know, if if there's any argument to be made about this movie is it is very much attached to and and very betrothed to the idea of the status quo, the way that a lot of these sort of mid-90s movies have been, right, Of, of something that shows us a lot of things that fall outside of the norm and this sort of chaotic nature to it. Like there are people rioting and looting in this movie and then it's all restored and everything becomes good again.
0: Your thesis statement about the fact that we are living in Jumanji, I think is exemplified by what you just said. Like We we
1: are living in Jumanji. This
0: just dogged white knuckling clinging to some chaotic and impractical uh, idea of a status quo, despite the fact that literally all of the structures that uphold that status quo are crumbling around us and uh, and in front of us, that is Jumanji and that is right now.
1: The thing that I never noticed about this movie as a child that was blatantly apparent to me this next time, or this time that we watched is all of the chaos erupting around them as a result of their actions. When I thought about this movie before we watched it, I incorrectly remembered that, oh, yeah, all of the consequences of the game only happen to them and not to anybody else. And like it, for some reason there's like this this dissociation and disconnect there. Completely not true the city falls into chaos immediately. People are hospitalized. There's even an amazing like little clip where Baby Newworth's character is listening to the radio. And I looked at you when this happened because the, the person on the radio says like, hospitals are overrun and we're running out of resources. And like people are experiencing symptoms of like fever and, and uh, you know, loss of breath and all of this stuff. I'm like, holy shit. Like this is this is that thing that we don't talk about in our society that's happening right now. There's also looting happening at like a local like department store type thing, like a like a Target or something even. And I never noticed those things as a kid. It's like, oh, there's like looting and rioting happening and like people are going crazy and
0: people are getting stung by poisonous
1: bugs. Right. And overflooding hospitals. And the thing that was so striking about is exactly what you're saying, where I was like, we're living in Jumanji right now. Everything is asking us to just continue playing. Keep rolling the dice. And eventually it will all come to an end and everything will be restored to its status quo, to which I say like that is a complete falsehood. It's a fabrication and it's a narrative being sold to you. And it's like I I thought about this like on on a walk earlier, you know, where I realized like all the people right now who are, are leaning into this idea of. The calm coming, like, you know, like this inauguration of of Joe Biden, meaning like that there's going to be a sense of dignity restored and like the soul of America coming back. If you are anybody in this narrative, you are young Sarah Whittle. You rolled the dice and you started the game, and then chaos happened and people got sucked into the jungle and bats flew out from fucking hell and you stopped playing and you just ran away that is who you are like and it's like the thing that i could not get out of my head is like all these people who suddenly think that everything is fine now are also people who had everything fine for them six weeks ago two years ago four years ago like you have been fine but you fucking rolled the dice and then you quit playing and that is where we are right now is just stuck in the jungle and there's like shit happening out there that feels chaotic and feels unreal And the only hope that people are holding on to right now is that if we just keep marching forward, everything is going to eventually be okay and we're going to wake up like clinging to one another in a living room in 1969. And I just, it's just not going to happen. It's just not. It's going to have to either change for the better or it's just going to keep being the chaos of the movie. Yeah,
0: it's fucking bleak, man. The conceit that the damage that has taken place along the way Will be magically undone doesn't happen in real life. The lives that have been lost, the people that will be um, have permanent health issues for the rest of their lives, even the ones that have survived, uh, the people that will be in a state of poverty or um, financial instability, lacking food security, all those things, poor, broke, starving, hungry, uh, without health care, those people are absolutely um, experiencing the collateral damage of all of this and a new person being in the white house doesn't wipe the slate clean for those people those people are still poor hungry starving dead uh what have you and unless we actually do something to fix the damage instead of just say here's a vaccine bye there is damage that must be addressed and if it is not then things are not fine
1: it's only going to get worse it's
0: only going to get worse and
1: and by the way in case you're thinking that things are a-okay now and you're one of those people who rolled the dice and just stopped fucking playing there are already plenty of people in all of the corners of our society making sure that they can find ways to benefit and profit off of the suffering in our society like Health insurers and, and, and life insurance companies have already started filling out applications and getting approvals to deny you comprehensive life insurance policies at affordable rates if you have gotten COVID. They are now considering a pre-existing condition so that they can fucking up your payments, up the cost of a comprehensive life insurance policy, and to deny you claims for getting sick in getting, the middle of a pandemic. For getting
0: sick when we were not given the resources or the structure to keep ourselves safe. A small percentage of people in this country have had the ability to stay home while everyone else has had to go out and work to keep things running, to keep paying the bills.
1: To keep playing the game. To keep
0: playing the game, but those are the people that are gonna get charged up the ass because they got sick. On top of that, you've got a stimulus bill that's protecting companies from liabilities for putting their employees in harm's way.
1: Yeah. like the, It's like,
0: it's just helping all the wrong people. The
1: only thing that has been consistent about uh, the, the new stimulus package that has been tinkered and toyed with in Congress at the moment is that corporate liability protection reigns supreme. In fact, there are many people in fucking Congress right now who are saying that they are a-okay with passing a stimulus that doesn't have state and federal aid in it, which in case you weren't paying attention means that no state or federal aid, no unemployment extensions, no single payment one-time checks. So the only thing this stimulus is doing is making sure that the companies who are trying to stay afloat and running and benefiting and profiting off of your labor and forcing you into conditions that are subpar and unsafe, all this thing is doing is making sure that those people don't have to pay a fucking cent or get sued, or deal with any sort of discomfort for putting you in harm's way and putting your body in front of the fucking cow catcher. So, like... Yeah,
0: they're stimulated. Those guys are stimulated. they're fine.
1: They're fucking fine. Congratulations. But, like, that is the only thing right now being juggled and talked about.
0: Hags! All!
1: Hags fucking all. All this to say, watch Jumanji, I guess. Or don't.
0: Watch Jumanji, but, you know, like, understand that we're in the jungle and uh the the end of the game for us is not a happy shiny Christmas party the way that it is in in this one right
1: it, there's there's a a game to play but there's also a lot of damage that needs to be undone and and you got to stay awake people for well
0: it. and if nothing else you know because we um are apparently ruining movies for people you can't Know about the things that are happening and not start to see the code everywhere, even, 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 and especially in movies from the 90s. There's just there are too many trappings of our our uh,
1: of the society that uh, that preordained our current situations. And that,
0: that's what I was gonna say. Yeah. Yep,
1: it's no mistake that there are articles being written about this, that people right now are taking a ton of solace in returning to 90s movies and to nostalgia. If the show is trying to do anything, it's exemplifying the fact that while that nostalgia is good and fine, and movies from this era can be enjoyed, they also give us a roadmap to every single thing uh, that our society currently holds dear. And a lot of the sociopolitical messages that we have internalized that came to the forefront during this era.
0: And then when you get sick of it and you need a break, you go on to r slash animals being derps. Best place on the internet. Yeah.
1: You just look at, you look at cats for you a You look while. at
0: cat or animals. It's another also good one. Also good. Um, and, and then you laugh, you laugh your butt off and then you get back at it. Because if you don't know that this shit is going on, how can you make things better?
1: That's all we've really got today. As always, you can find us at patreon.com slash hitfactorypod. Follow us on Twitter at hitfactorypod. I've been tweeting a lot more from that account lately. It's been getting a little rigorous there. Some
0: nugs. Some good stuff there, in there.
1: Yeah, I've been getting some fights with some people there. It's been fun. It's been a good time okay. just leaning into our, uh, leaning into our juicy political passages. Uh, and uh, we'll have more of these things coming your way through quarantine and beyond. We've got some good guests lined up for the next couple of months. So uh, stay tuned and we will keep keep bringing them to you. Thanks, everyone. We be old school. Yeah, old school. We be old school.
0: Yeah, old school.
1: Money for a girl sweet honey Got me some roses and a little bling I knocked on her door, she said What you waiting for? I heard you was looking for a king Been climbing the pyramid Her steps made of green I'm getting closer Getting
0: closer To my little queen